0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Real Purpose of Life podcast. I am your host, Wyatt Hubblethwaite, and we got an interview with Bob Anderson. He spent a lot of years as the director of Christian Challenge up at K-State, impacting college students for the gospel, and just giving his life away. So we're so excited to get some time with him, and I hope you enjoy the interview.
1: I'm going to let, I'm going to turn it over to Wyatt. I'm going to have Bronson pray for us. Okay. And then we um, will let these guys get it going.
2: Great. Super. Awesome. Well,
1: let's pray. Jesus,
0: we, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time we get to have. Um, Lord, how even in the middle of this, just chaos and this pandemic, you've provided a way for us still to be able to talk to one another, be able to see each other's face. And, and Lord, your gospel is still going out. Lord, and your name still being proclaimed and we're still being encouraged in the faith. And Lord, so I just pray that you would bless this time. Let it go well. Let there not be any issues with internet or technology and just let it go smooth. And Lord, we thank you for Bob and his life. And Lord, I would pray that you would use it. And this is time to help bless us and encourage us, our staff and our students. Jesus, would you just bless this time and this opportunity? We thank you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen Amen. Awesome. Well, Bob, we're so so glad to have you Uh, Why don't you for the people who will be watching this and don't know much about you? Why don't you give us a crash course on who Bob Anderson is?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, I was uh, born in Washington DC and uh, moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was uh, five and grew up in Tulsa Um, and became a avid distance runner, uh, was able to uh, go to the University of Oklahoma on a, on a track and cross-country scholarship and arrived at, at, at OU in the fall of 1965. Uh, it was a small, lot smaller campus there. I lived in Cross Center, which I think has been torn down. It's, it was the forerunner of, of Kate Center. And except it was about a half mile on further out, um, I ran track and cross country, uh, began to get my life turned around somewhat as a freshman. But then Max Barnett came as, as a sophomore and began to model to myself and a few others what it really meant to walk deeply and intimately with Christ. And uh, one thing that's not really mentioned a lot about Max, you know he's a man of vision and faith, but he really communicated love to me. and uh, I uh, that I was a value and and God could use me. And so uh, I had an incredible journey through my college years. I came without vision. I came without a, a relationship with God. I came without any close friends. Uh, I came without much character. But when I graduated, uh, a few years later, uh, I had those beginning to be entrenched in my life. Not, not totally developed, of course, because I'm 72 now and those things are still growing. But I had a great hold on, on vision, on character, on deep friendships, on communion with God. And uh, in looking back uh, 50 years later, those things are still real and active and growing in my life. Uh, part of the vision, of course, is you, if you know Max, is, is the heart for making disciples. And uh, I still do that 50 years later. I still meet with people and help them to take those steps with God. I got married right out of college, met Sandy while I was in college at OU, our honeymoon, uh, right after I graduated. was driving to Fort Gordon, Georgia to uh, start my military. Uh, two years, I, I would have been drafted out of college, so I went ahead and went through ROTC. My second year was in Vietnam, and uh, after serving there, Sandy and I the door opened to come up to Manhattan, Kansas in 1972. And we served on uh, as campus ministers here with the Baptist uh, ministry. We called it Christian Challenge for 41 years. And so I've been retired from that for a few years, but still pretty involved with students' lives. That's the short journey.
1: Bob, tell us a little bit about how did you get to Kansas State? Like, um, I know you
2: started that ministry there. Um, yeah.
1: w- what was that story like?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's one of those things you look back on different points in your life, and at the time, they seemed totally random. But in, in retrospect, you see the hand of footprint of God. And uh, when I was uh, in the military as a young second lieutenant, my first station was after Fort Gordon, Georgia, the basic officer course, I went to the advanced officer course in Fort Sill down at Lawton. And then uh, I I was transferred to Fort uh, Riley, Kansas, which is about 10 miles from uh, Manhattan. And I, as a young soldier, I began to come to a Bible study that was led by a volunteer uh, at Kansas State, and it had about eight eight or nine students in it, and got involved in, in that, and I thought at the time, wow, you know, maybe God could lead me back here. I, I had not thought about campus ministry. I, my degree was in social studies education, and I wanted to teach and coach, and I think I would have enjoyed that, but Um, I began to see the opportunity because they had a a volunteer and just a handful of students around. I thought, how exciting that maybe God would leave. Well, I went on to Vietnam and that was uh, on my mind. Sandy went back to OU to finish her degree in accounting. And when I was in Vietnam, uh, Max and a few others made a trip up through Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, to look at the, at the time, big eight campuses and the opportunity for campus ministry. And uh, when I was in Vietnam, Max sent me a letter uh, asking me to pray about Sandy and me moving to Manhattan since I've been stationed here and I knew some of the people. So in uh, early August of 1972, uh, Sandy and I, along with Brett and Mary Yon, they dropped us off in Manhattan. They went on up to uh, Lincoln. So we started campus ministry the same within a day or two. And then Jack and Wendy Owens a, a week later went on to Iowa State. And uh, that, that all happened within about a week in early August. And so that's how we got here.
0: <laughs> wow, that's, that's really awesome was college ministry something you'd even been considering beforehand or was it kind of Max and is the first time I ever heard of it?
2: Yeah. You know, I didn't really, uh, God really turned my life around in college. Uh, I, I needed some things to happen in my life that the, the military, I don't necessarily wish that on anyone, but I needed to grow up some where my faith was really my own and my walk with God was my own, and it wasn't supported by an incredible number of great props around my life, whether it was Max or my friends or the campus ministry there at OU. I needed to get out and uh, experience the reality of God on on my own, and that happened when I was in the military. So as I got some things personally in place then when the invitation came to move to to, uh kansas state uh, sandy of course we were separated and back then they didn't have internet i talked to her one time in seven months for three minutes and so all of our communication was on very slow uh, the slow movement of letters it took a month for me to write a letter and to get a response from her. So things were happening slow, but it, again, it's what God had we, for us, and we prayed about it and thought, you know, what a better opportunity could I find to invest my life in people than to go to Kansas State? And we looked at each other, we prayed, felt peace about it, and thought, let's, let's go for it. So, that's what we did. And I, I didn't know how long I'd be there. Maybe I didn't know. I didn't, frankly, I didn't even know if I could do it. I, I thought I could, but yeah, I had some, you know, confidence issues, uh, and, and a lot of that was tied into just, God, are you able? And so as I sorted that out, as I took those steps in prayer and faith, God began to open the doors and, and really confirmed to us that we were in the right place. And uh, looking back, after 41 years at K-State, I literally could not think of anything I would have rather had done than be at Kansas State and working with students. I would have liked to have flown jets. Uh, I would have liked to have coached and teach. There were some things I would have enjoyed doing. But in retrospect, there isn't any, anything that I, I would have rather done than what we've done.
1: So, Bob, take us back to nineteen seventy two through you know the first several years. What were some of the lessons you learned early on as a young college ministry you know kind of getting things started as a family as you know just what were some of the highs and lows during that time
2: well um, my my the day after we got to Kansas State, uh, Brett and Mary we, we moved our stuff in a U-Haul truck. We dumped our stuff off and they <clears throat> went on up the next day to Lincoln. And that day I, I took a walk across campus. It's like, I remember this from August of 72. And I, I had kind of a crisis in faith. God, what am I doing here? I, I knew I knew a few students, but very few. And uh, so I I I just asked God, God, what 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 could I even pray for? And and it's like God brought to mind. Bob asked me to give you six people, three men and three women, that really had a heart for God. And so as I walked across across campus, I uh, sat down on a bench and and prayed that prayer. And uh, because we didn't have those six and but a year later, as as I remember that prayer, we had six that were really serious about God, three guys and three gals. And uh, that first year was investing in them. I led a Bible study. Sandy led a Bible study. I began to share with the guys what it meant to walk with God on a daily basis. I didn't know much. Uh, I'd been learning some verses, and I was having a quiet time. But I knew very little about ministry, and I all I know to do was was to walk with God myself, and then help them take steps with God. That that was it. It was very uh, uncomplicated. And then as I began to, to lead a small group, then I with those guys, and there may be one or two others in it, but I. I told those guys, I want them to get it. So that next year they can lead small groups. So all six of those people, uh, the following year led small groups. And so we went from two, one men's group, one women's group to six. And and I, again, just invested in a few. And, uh, you know, it was a journey of faith. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing half the time. I'd wake up in the morning and, you know, I'd, I'd have an appointment to meet with someone on campus. And, you know, my prayer was, oh God, help me to have something to offer this person. I mean, it was ground zero <laughs> in faith. And and that's that's how we started. And, you know, walking in faith has has always been a big part of my life. And I had a huge, uh, entree into it that first year.
0: Do
2: you want me to keep going along? or? Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, this is good stuff. You're welcome to keep
1: going. You're good. Uh, so you you just kind of built it from the ground floor and you utilized a lot of discipleship principles. Mm-hmm. What were some of the, you know, that, that seemed like a really big win. What were some other really big wins as you kind of were just getting started and developing a ministry there?
2: Uh, well, this was when I went to K State, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, the concept of worship was not really a player in in campus ministry. We would sing songs like uh, "Pass it on and Kumbaya, and and someone would strum a few choruses on a on a guitar like that. But uh, the I- idea of entering into worship with students, really meeting God uh, through music through the Word, was was not really a a, a player back then. And then uh, before your guys' time, but uh, it, uh, a man named Peter Lord that you may have have heard before spoke to us, uh, actually, our, our group in a, in a group from University of Nebraska. We journeyed down to Titusville, Florida together, and this was very early, maybe the second year we were there, and they opened to us the idea of, of really worshiping God. And so uh, we came back, and we did have, gratefully, some music people and began to help us enter into the presence of God instead of just having a talk. And you know, we had talks about God. Someone would uh, share a Bible passage and uh, you know different things that students were interested in, whether it was discovering God's will or or dating or reading the Bible. And we had you know those things we were trying to do but but the new component was, worshiping God together, and uh, that was a growing thing for me. I grew up in a small Baptist church in Oklahoma, and, you know, we had two or three songs, the first, second, and last verse, and you got the songs out of the way, and then you heard a sermon. Well, we began to have worship time as, as a very integral part of, of that hour we spent together, and that, that was really... A big step for me, I was, uh, I had to really grow into that. And, um, and then helping people reach out. Uh, I'm an introvert, so reaching out doesn't naturally come to me. But, you know, we begin to pray, uh, who on your dorm floor, and everyone lived in the dorms back there, back then, or most everyone, uh, can we reach out to and so they begin to pray. I began to pray with them about people on their dorm floor. And we began to, back then, you could go into the dorms. I could go in. I know that those rules have changed. But So I began to meet people on dorms and we would share Christ and helping them in the simple things of evangelism. It was the same things that Max did with me at OU. And I was, copying a lot of what he did. I didn't have a whole lot of creative ideas in my hip pockets. so. And God just began to really bless that. We, uh, within the next couple of years, we had 30 or 40 students, and and four or five years later, 50 or 60, and eventually we had to move out of that building, if we were going to grow numerically, and to the union, and, and then we moved into uh, the, the union, uh, one of the nicest, probably lecture centers that they still use today. So, you know, the the numbers came along, but, but, but the trademark was going deep with people and getting, you know, close enough to few enough to really say their lives really changed. And, you know, I'm happy when a lot of people show up at meetings and yeah. go on retreats, but it but all of that is is supplemental to really going deeper with people and help them really know god and and walk with god and give their all to him and then desiring and having the skills to that their life can count and reaching out to others
1: so bob you had mentioned earlier you talking about going around campus and praying and just uh want you just speak to your your personal time alone with God and like what do you do? Uh, how do you spend time with him?
2: Yeah, that's a great question and I'd probably it's probably a little different from for everyone uh, but uh, when I was a sophomore at the University of Oklahoma, uh, I began the daily what what we would call a daily quiet time. it's called by different things but Uh, And I was on the track team, I was a distance runner. So that meant a lot of the season, we would do two workouts a day. And the the first workout would be running six miles at 6.30 in the morning and uh, all of our off season. And because I was a distance runner, I did cross country, indoor track and outdoor track. I was, you know, actively participating all the time. And so uh, God laid on my heart to spend time with them. So I got up at 5 45 and had time in the word and in prayer till 6 15 and I hustle over to the uh, to the track place and get on my gear to run and uh, it was incredibly quiet. Uh, back then there were no TVs, there was no piped in music, so I uh, there was no uh, uh, Social devices. It was just me and God and in in my Bible and my notebook. And so I began that happen. Happen, and I I do that to this day. This morning I read a a place in Mark and a uh, a place in in uh, Psalms. I haven't done the the Leviticus one yet. I may get to that, but but I do the same uh, reading calendar that uh, I started at OU. And uh, this morning, God spoke to me from Psalms about uh, uh, one of the passages talks about Israel dwelling with God. And, you know, they in Jerusalem, of course, the temple, they went there and God was there and they and God dwelled there and they dwelled with God. And so I was thinking this morning, God, do I am I dwelling with you? Not just am I reading the Bible? not just is, am I having some prayer that I'm really dwelling with you. And in the, in the past, probably 20 years or so, uh, that's become a more a part of my DNA is not just having a daily quiet time, which I do, but, but where the presence of God, I seek to have that every moment of every day. Uh, I was out walking a while ago before it starts snowing here in a little bit. Uh, and in the presence of God was real to me. And uh, I play golf occasionally and, and there's nothing I, I can do that uh, takes God away from me unless I, I choose for him not to be close to me. But uh, so that's been a part of, of my inner core life is the presence, the ongoing presence of God. And, uh, you know, whenever I speak on, occasionally I speak on devotional devotional life. You know, I can give a whole talk on that 30-minute devotional life, and I have dozens and dozens of time. But I don't start with that because there's not one place in our life that's more spiritual than another, not one time of day. Uh, granted, when we have our Bible in front of us and our journal beside us, we're actively engaged with God, but I can be near God anywhere, anytime, going to the grocery store to pick up my curbside sack of groceries. The presence of God is with me. And so I try to all have an ongoing cultivation of that. And that's, that's been something I've had to grow into, Shane. It wasn't uh, natural for me to do that. But, uh, you know, I, I remember Mac sharing years ago about his uh, his relationship with Sandra and he said, you know, sometimes I have an incredibly romantic feeling just being in her presence, but sometimes I don't necessarily have those feelings, but I know I love her regardless of how I feel at the moment. And so, you know, throughout the day, I may not necessarily have a feeling of love for God, but, I, but I'm in his presence. I was actually sending a picture to a friend just uh, about 20 minutes ago, right before we started, about my granddaughter. Uh, she, she does rock climbing, and they have these very sophisticated ones where she lives in Louisiana. And they have, uh, you got to really know what you're doing. And she was working hard, but, but if you notice, she has a harness on her. And so she's the harness is always there. And I wrote to this friend saying, you know, we are asked to do a lot of hard things, difficult things. But we always have the harness of the presence of God around us. And, uh, you know, that's how I try to live.
1: (laughs) Well. Going with that, <laughs> just this <laughs> presence of God and just uh, spending time with Him, and and you know, yeah. everything I've heard about you, Bob, is is how much you, you know, pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that become a value yeah. that you've you know established every day with? And then, how do you what what do you do when you pray?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I again I began to. Prayer began to be an important part of my life. When I was a college student, I think the idea that, you know, hopefully someday years from now, you'll become a person of prayer. Well, hopefully that'll be true, but there's no reason a 19-year-old cannot become a man or woman of deep, rich, meaningful, faith-filled, discipline prayer. And I think that began to happen to me as a student. I, I certainly hadn't arrived at it, but I remember one time reading a biography about uh, the life of Hudson Taylor that Max had recommend we read. And, and I was a, a junior, I think my uh, my fall semester, my junior year, I read this biography. And th- in those days, I began to pray for China, and back then you couldn't get into China. Uh, the first people into China from the West was an American ping pong team in 1970. And no one could get into China, but I began to pray, not every day, but most days for China. And uh, and I began to continue to pray in 1995. I was able to go on a trip to China with John Brooks and and we went to, I think, Nine cities. I continue to pray for in China. The following year, uh, I led a team. Uh, Robbie Nutter was on that team. Uh, his wife to be, a uh, number of people that you may know. Brian Sterm was on that team, and um, and God incredibly met us there. We went into a campus who had that had no believers. Had never had anyone come and share Christ. We saw a number of people come to Christ. And, and I think from that time until now, there's been hundreds and hundreds of people go from Kansas State. Some are still full-time in China. And it, it's not that you know my prayers necessarily were the, were the, the tipping point on this, because a lot of people were praying for China, but that I had a part in what God is doing in China, and that began as a student. And I also begin to pray that God would use me to help people become multiplying believers, and uh, those are, you know, for China, uh, for the unreached, and for multiplying believers have been kind of a hallmark of my intercession over the years, and uh, so I would still pray those those prayers today, and. For me, a part of that happens in my, my morning quiet time, uh, I, when I you know I just don't go very far without praying for those things. Uh, I, I've always just made time with it. I know a lot of people say, "Well, I don't have time to pray and to read the Bible." I, I've been very busy <laughs> over the years. Uh, when I was in Vietnam, I worked 12 hours a day seven days a week for, uh, seven straight months without a day off. And, uh, I, I prayed and read the Bible every day. And, uh, you know, so people that say, well, I just don't have the time. I, that doesn't compute with me very well because I've had a lot of busy things over the years, but it's because it's been important to me to meet with God and to Lift things up to Him. So, you know, there's times I don't get things out of the Bible. Uh, I've had semesters where I haven't necessarily got a lot of rich things from the Bible, but I just keep hanging with God and eventually He'll be speaking to me and, you know, uh, challenging me in things. And, uh, it's okay. You know, I exercise almost every day, not every day, not necessarily because I love it, but because it's just what I need to do. And, and to be in God's word and to pray is what he calls me to do. It's what he did and what he calls me to do. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned some things over the years, like Psalms 46, uh, 10 says, be still. And know that I am God. And you know there's something about the stillness with God. You know, there's some things about God we may never learn unless we're quiet and still with Him. Be still and know that I am God. And so, you know, as I meet with God, i I try to quiet my heart to still my heart psalms twenty three uh, He maketh me lie down in green pastures, and then it says he restores my soul. Everyone wants a restored soul, everyone wants to be healed, but the journey of of restoring, of transformation, of healing comes through quieting my heart and meeting with God. And so, you know, that's what I found, and uh, that's what I encourage people. I, I think a lot of people don't really know how to read the Bible for themselves. They read it to, because they're on a devotional plan, uh, because maybe they are teaching a Sunday school or a Bible study class. They want something to offer. and You know, those things are good, are good benefits. But to read the Bible to really meet God, and that's, that's my goal in reading the Bible. It's not to get information to write in my devotional book, and I have a ton of filled up devotional books, but that's not why I read the Bible. I read the Bible to meet God and, and to hear from him. Uh, Psalms or uh, John uh, 10, 27, Jesus says, uh, this is my son who I am well pleased. Listen to him. That was his admonition to the disciples coming off the Mount of Transfiguration to listen to God. And I don't think very many people really have a clue what it means to listen to God. But uh, God himself calls us to listen to his son. And the only way I can figure out to do that is, is, is quietly, in, in stillness, open the Bible, and just seek to meet Him. And, you know, God can speak to me in other ways uh, through a sunset, or out in nature, or through a friend certainly, but primarily I meet God and hear Him through quietly and in an un- unrushed reading the Bible, and in praying, and listening, and not just speaking. We can all speak, you know, all say prayers, but can we give half of our time to listening? And, and to me, that's more of an art form we have to develop.
0: That's good stuff, Bob. Is there someone that modeled for you prayer or cast the vision for you, or is it something that as you're reading, you're like, this makes sense, and I should be doing this?
2: Yeah, uh, say that question again, the first part of it. Sorry. Is there,
0: is there someone that like modeled this for you, that like cast the vision for uh-huh. prayer? Or-
2: Yeah. Well, when I was in, you know, at OU, uh, again, when we think of Max, we think of the great vision for making disciples. You know, I'll I'll tell you a secret. Of course, Max was probably going to listen to this, but that actually was not the primary thing that I got from Max was the vision to make disciples, which was life changing for me. And I've done for over 50 years, but, but the, the key things that I learned from Max was simple faith, that God wanted us to pray and he listened to our prayers. And as I mentioned earlier, that he really loved me for who I was. And uh, he wasn't trying to just fit me in His into his style, although certainly I did a lot of that. I did, I did, he modeled a lot of things for me, but the the heart of what I got from Max was that God hears us and 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 we interact with Him as our closest friend, and uh, and then in that context we go out and have a ministry and making disciples. And I think we get the cart before the horse a lot of time. We we hear messages on vision and in evangelism and making disciples, which we need to hear, but until we're deeply rooted in the presence of God in our life, we just really don't have a lot to offer people. So Yeah, he definitely modeled that. And uh, I think being up here, it was really good for me to come to Kansas State because uh, I was, at the time, I was a long way from OU. There was no cell phones, you know, nothing like that. No computers. And, and, and I needed to meet God on my own. And, uh, you know, and so today as I, as I help people, I help them learn to enjoy God on their own. I mean, there's been times where I'll actually have a quiet time in front of someone just so they can get an idea what I do. And uh, it kind of shocks them. I said, yeah, it's okay, you know, let's, I'll just read a few verses here and pray, just like I would do in the morning at 6 30. And, and even though we're in the middle of the student union and 150 people around us, you know, just kind of listen to how I track with God. And it's not perfect, you know, it's not. And, you know, again, sometimes I get something out of it, sometimes don't, but a lot of people just, they don't, they don't understand that uh, it's a dialogue with God. It's not a one-sided conversation. You know, even you look at a a young mother with a baby. She's just not talking all the time. She's listening to that child and the coos and the the squeals. And it's a two-sided conversation. And any friendship that has any depth to it is two-sided. You know, how would it be if I came to to see Shane and... And we spent an hour together and and all I did was talk for 59 and a half minutes of that hour. And and he never had a chance to say anything to me. How sad would that be? That is that is but that's a lot of the ways we do with God. You know, we come into his presence and we have a list of things we're praying about that certainly he's interested in, but we're not able to to meet God quietly and to listen. And and that's a learning process. You know, I've learned how to fly a drone recently. I've learned how to play the ukulele recently. (laughs) You know, I I do things that kind of challenge my brain. I'm 72, so I have to keep stretching my brain. And, uh, you know, it's a learning process to do those things. And it's a learning process to listen to God. And it's okay. God's okay with that.
1: Well, along this line of prayer, like, can you just kind of walk us through, like, what are some of your go-to um, prayers in the Bible? Do you have any passages that you kind of meditate on and, and either pray through scripture or, or what do you take students to, to show them the importance of prayer? Like, what are some, yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. So you go
2: however you want. Yeah. Uh, well, uh I, you know i memorized philippians a while back and and colossians several years ago and you know the the early verses in those books as well as ephesians are paul speaking prayers over the young church and uh i think we can find a lot of ammunition for praying for people just in in the word of god we don't have to go looking at devotional books so uh you know i i use the bible i use the bible a lot as i pray and so like uh, this morning when i was reading uh, psalms uh 134 and 135 i wouldn't just read through the verses and then ponder them i i would read through them slowly and a lot of times stop and pray as i read through them so that's kind of how i i read and uh You know, I'm, I read through the Psalms a lot because so many of them are prayers uh, that David and others are offering back to the Lord. So um, I, you know, that's, that's just kind of my food. Uh, I, I occasionally read a devotional book, but not very often. I, you know, I've read a lot of books on prayer, but Uh, For me, what works is slowly reading through the Bible and then pausing and praying over the verses that I'm reading. Uh, Let's let's see an example. Uh, I was reading in uh, Mark 9 9 and 10 just uh, yesterday and about... um, Jesus bringing healing and and I was thinking so God where am I in in being your channel of healing to people and it's it was so natural for you but do I approach people as you did with you know certainly a desire that they surrender to the living God but to really have their best in mind what who are the hurting people? And that led me to thinking about the passage in uh, Matthew twenty-five. Uh, you know, the people Jesus said, "Well, as you have, as you have clothed the naked, as you have fed the, fed the hungry, have you have done this and this? You've done it to me." And the people said, "Well, how how could that be?" And Jesus said, "Oh, basically said that's simple. As you've done it to these, you've done it to me." And so I begin to think, who are who are those in my life uh, that are the least of these? And, and a couple people came to my mind and, and that, then I started tracking. I wonder if each believer should have someone in their life that they would consider the least of these because it's a part of a ministering to the living God. And you know, you say, well, how can I minister to God? Well, you know, most people would think of praise and worship, but Jesus is very clear that the way you minister to God, at least in Matthew 25, is is caring for them, uh, their needs, and so you know, my my quiet time it kind of it kind of leans from one thing to the next, and so I went from from Mark to Matthew. I prayed. I go back and. It's, it's not as neat and tidy as you might think. I mean, for years and years and years, I would read the passage and then pray, and I would usually have prayer list, and then I might at the end write down a verse that was meaningful to me. And that was that yeah, for years and years. And now you read my, my journal, and, boy, I'm talking about deep, hidden things in my heart that God is addressing and envy and jealousy and competitiveness and idols uh, and uh you know this this in fact this morning i have to have my journal out here um uh, i was i was reading uh, in psalms 135 18 it says those who make them talking about idols become like them so do all who trust in them And so I was pondering that this morning, what are the idols? You know, if I make an idol in my mind, I become like that idol. And so, you know, my quiet time is, it's not as neat and tidy as it used to be, but I I try to meet God and listen to him. So I don't know if that answered your question about what verses I, you know, I've learned a lot of verses over the years and uh, mainly my prayers for people, though, intercessory, is, is more linked to what I'm reading this day. And, um, you know, like this morning, I prayed for some people about idols in their life because it was fresh on my mind. You know.
1: That's really good. Yeah, that did answer my question. Uh, so you had talked about developing a heart for China and praying for China. Uh, what? kind of led into you guys really having a heart for the nations. And I know that you've sent out a lot of uh, M's through K-State. Yeah, uh, Speak to some of our students and speak to our staff, like yeah. how do you develop a heart for the nations and why is that even important?
2: Yeah, well, that's a great question. I, uh, my answer is that I begin to pray for the nations. And, and I mentioned earlier about the simple little, book that was written in the 1920s about the life of Hudson Taylor. It's called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. By the way, his secret was that it wasn't so much the strength of his faith, it was faith in a faithful God. So that was his secret. But uh, it's a book on missions, really, in his life. But really, it has an underlying uh, theme of the faithfulness of God. And, uh, but as I began, I, I just began to pray most every day for the nations. I remember uh, I was on the in the early in group that uh, was with Louis Giglio on in, in the uh, uh, passion conferences, and uh, Brett Yon and I would go down to to Texas and meet with Louis and a few guys and pray about that movement. And I remember one of the early ones uh, at conferences, I think it was in Austin, and we took a bunch of students. And so right at the beginning of, of the, uh, the Passion Conference, uh, Jeff Lewis, one of Louie's uh, uh, friends that were putting on the conference talked about Tibet. And he shared about a three minute uh, video on Tibet and just the needs of Tibet. It had no, no believers that they knew of. And I'd never hardly even heard of a Tibet. I'd never met a Christian from Tibet. I'd never met anyone who had been to Tibet. Tibet. I knew nothing about Tibet other than it was close to the Himalayas, it was in the Himalayas. And uh, so after watching that video, I prayed, I felt God leading me to pray for Tibet every day for a year. And and whenever I go to a conference, whether it used to be the Glen with OU or, or different spring breaks we've had, I always pray that God will give me one thing I can take away. And maybe he'll give me two, but I always pray going in the conference for one thing. And that was, I buried that. And God on light laid on my heart to pray every day. For Tibet, so at the end of that year, I didn't miss a day. I got a prayer book on Tibet. You know i I could honestly say that I love the people of Tibet. I'd still never met one. I'd still never met anyone that had been there. and but my love for the Tibet people was born out of prayer. And uh, I'm close to a lot of people, literally all over the world. And uh, uh, that's a part of who I am, just not running people through a program, but continuing uh, those relationships. And, you know, I'm not pr- close to everyone who's been through our ministry, but I, I am a lot, standing and I are. And one of the reasons is that I pray for them. Like this morning, I prayed for five other couples that we were close to in the 70s. I prayed for both the, the husband and the wife, and some of their children. Um, I prayed for a couple in China. Uh, I prayed for some of our alums that are literally all over the world. And, and And I still love them. And so, you know, geography doesn't have to affect relationships. Usually it does, people move away and we lose touch with them and, you know, it can, but it doesn't have to and so my prayers for the nations uh, continues because, I mean, my love for the nations continues because my prayer for the nation continues, and I just feel that's what God wants me to do. Uh, You know, he responds as we lift our hearts up to him, and I don't know understand how that works. I know in the Old Testament, there was a place where it seemed like God changed or Moses changed God's heart through prayer. I, you know, I don't know all the theology of that, but I know for sure that God wants me to pray and in response to my prayers. And so, you know, I know those two things. And so I'm, I'm going for it. I can't think of anything. that's a more significant investment of my life, whether I was in campus ministry, whether I was in the military, whether I'm now here or retired, is to pray. So I give time. You know, some days I pray more than others, obviously, but that's what I do. And I think it's the missing ingredient in most people's lives. You know, we'll attend meetings, we'll listen to podcasts. Uh, We even may read our Bible, but to pray is, is hard because I think the devil very purposely wants to to hijack that part of our life.
1: Yeah. Well, keep that going. Like, so decision making is always a huge thing of prayer. And how have you prayed through decisions? And then how do you actually, you personally, you and your wife make decisions uh, of any kind of category?
2: Uh, How do we make decisions?
1: Well, yeah, you, you went from prayer and I was just saying, you know, we pray through decisions. Like how do you personally pray through decisions and then how do you actually, what, what are the processes that you go through to make
2: a decision? Uh, Well, um, I, you know, I guess it's a little bit serendipity here. Here's the thing about my decisions (laughs) many years ago, like as a, Sophomore in college at OU, I made a decision that I wanted my life to count for God, and the best I could, I surrendered to Him, and uh, and so that that decision that you know those decisions set up ninety percent of the things I've ever done, because. Uh, You know, even things like uh, Sandy and I moved. We had a house that was uh, too large for us. Our children had gone and we were not having as many people into our house as we used to. So we downsized three years ago and live in a lot smaller house now. That was a big decision. But ultimately, that decision was framed in, uh, God, we want to use you. We want you to use us. Uh, we want everything we own to be owned by you and not just us. And so uh, when we thought about the practicality of downsizing, it was just a kind of a no-brainer for us. It, it wasn't like we had to, to pray and fast for for three months about it. We talked about it. We prayed about it. We felt that it dovetailed into God's purposes for our life, for our lives to count where we are um, you know, when I, when Max wrote and asked us to consider, I was in Vietnam, consider moving to Kansas State. It wasn't like I had to go away for three months and and have uh, prayer about it. It was like we we talked about it, we prayed about it, and it just seemed like The next step for what God wanted us to do. And when uh, I was dating Sandy and, uh, you know, it came, should should I marry her? Uh, I talked to Max about it. I talked to a couple other friends about it. I prayed about it. I had seen that her life was on track with God and she had a heart for her life to count with people. And so it was not like... This, oh God, what should I do? It was more, this just flows into who I am, you know, marrying her. And, you know, gravely she said yes. But uh, so the, a lot of the will of God for me comes as I walk daily with him. And, and when things, when I face things, yes, I do pray about them. And sometimes I'll write out the pros and the cons of things. What are the pros of this? What are the cons of it? And I'll make a list of them and I'll pray over those. Uh, But so much of God revealing his will to me is rooted in my life, wanting to count for him and I'm surrendered to him. And that, that just sets me up for the things that come along that, you know, I need to respond to. I don't know if that makes much sense or not, but I'm not, I'm a little bit out of, out of the normal cut of people. I'm, you know, and
0: uh, the best people usually are.
2: Some people would listen to this and say, that guy's got to be crazy. (laughs) But uh, you know, it's worked for me. I, I think the hallmark uh, is, is if the theme, some of the themes of my life are, uh, are, uh, the presence, the ongoing presence of God. I, I really work at that. Not that I feel it all the time, or you know, if I go to a football game, uh, I'm not necessarily talking with Jesus. But but I'm never that far away from him, and uh, I you know I I move back into a conversation with him, and uh, it's uh, the old story of, of Brother Lawrence. Uh, he was uh, he worked in a kitchen in in the 1600s and, and uh, wrote probably one of the most well documented books ever written Pilgrim's Progress and Purpose Driven Life would be more of it this would be up there and he he was a, a cook but he just practiced the presence of God and so one place was not even more spiritual than than another and his daily prayers was not any more spiritual than washing pots and pans because God was with him, like the vine and the branch, you know, the presence of the branch in the vine. And you don't, the the branch never separates from the vine, John 15.5.
1: Hey, Bob, what are, going along with that, like what are some, going back to scripture, I guess, what are some of the themes that just pop up over and over through Scripture that you go back to to give you like comfort or you, you have linked your heart to, or just like verses or, or passages that you just go back to often to give you comfort?
2: Sure. Or, you know, yeah, just... I, well, I think uh, the John fifteen five passage when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If anyone abides in me, or some translations say remain in me, he is as bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I think, to me, that's a, one of the clearest, if not the clearest, visuals that Jesus ever gave. And yet, it could be the hardest for us to live out. <laughs> oh, you know, Jesus gave a lot of great visualizations uh, throughout his ministry: the soils, the parable of the soils, and, and different things that are really clear. But this one about a branch staying in a vine, I mean it's hard to misinterpret that one. And I would say that's been foundational for me uh throughout my my whole life. And uh the uh of course, you know, the, the passage that I learned in Max lived out literally, uh Matthew 28, uh, all authority is given into me. Go therefore and make disciples. It, it's an ongoing work of God in and through my life. And, you know, that's been very foundational. Uh, Oh boy, there's so many. I think in recent years, the idea of being still before God, of waiting on God. I mentioned the Psalms uh, 46, uh, 10, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God has called us into fellowship that's one of the first verses I uh, memorized at OU. That, that you know that God has called me to Himself, and it's not like that I have to go out and fight a battle to find God. He has called me into fellowship with Him, and I I just sought to make that verse my own. Um, uh, boy, there's verses in. 1 Thessalonians about uh, God are giving ourselves to others. It's not just uh, the mechanics of it, but because we have experienced life with another person. I think of uh, First uh, Thessalonians uh, two eight and three eight, and and John three four passages that talk about. Paul said, the people he spent time with, they are his life. And I thought, wow, that's how I want ministry to be. I want it to be life-giving, not just information giving, just not just program giving, but life-giving. And so the relationships I touch day in and day out, I want them to give life, the life of Christ in my life. And, And Paul said at one time, you're you're our letter written on our heart. And that's, that's how I've sought to have relationships. So, you know, the, I mentioned right at the first, you know, four key things that God did in my heart as a student. One, one, the presence of God, the ongoing reality of God in my life, that God can be known on a personal level. As I mentioned, the first Corinthians 1, 9 passage, he's called us in the fellowship. The other thing is Vision that uh, God calls us to a vision. It may be look a little different in each person, but but God wants to bless others with the presence of God, help them to take steps to follow God. And whether they're uh, an engineer or a airline pilot or a physician or a homemaker, God wants us to invest our lives in others to help them move with Him, to be his disciple. And then there's the uh, the part of, of character, of of having my life line up with the presence of God and and my motives, and uh, and not uh, uh, there's a verse in uh, James five sixteen that says, "Confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed." Again, a lot of people want to be healed, but the the journey through that is. Is confession? We know very little about confession and repentance. Uh, seldom is heard in messages. Uh, seldom it's talked about in one-on-one. But but it's it's the the critical. I feel the critical component to the power of God being released in our lives is a humble confession, repentant life, and because uh, Jesus said or, or in James said as we confess as we open our lives to others and to god that's when healing happens and they're talking about healing the context was physical healing but i think it would be true with any area that we need healing in relational whatever and um yeah boy let's see uh vision and character and uh, the presence of god uh, those are those are three of the hallmarks uh, that I I gleaned from college. There were others, but I'm trying to hang in there today. <laughs> uh,
1: so. Well, Bob. So obviously, our world's just done. It's standing still right now with this COVID nineteen. If you were still working with students full time, and and you know, what what would you what kind of advice would you give us, college ministers? What should be, what should, what should we really be trying to do with our students in this sure. time of crisis?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, you know, a lot of, you know, when we're out of our routine, uh, the devil can really play havoc with us. And every one of us, a student, including the campus ministers, we're out of our routine, and uh, you know, we think. Um, You know, uh, we're going to have all this time with God and we're going to have all this time to pray and do Bible study. The fact is, most people are probably not ratcheting up those things at all. Maybe some are. So I would say, uh, you know, one thing I would say to students and staff is we're going to look back on this time three months from now, six months from now, at some point, and we're going to have. There's going to be one of two possibilities. One, we'll be deeply grateful for the time because we've grown to love God and others more because of the choices we've made, or we're going to have an incredible amount of regret because we pilfered away the time, we've been lazy, we've hung out and watched old movies or social uh, devices, but we really haven't moved with God. And how sad would that be that we would look back on this time? I, You know, and my encouragement is that people wouldn't see this as a curse, but would see it as a gift. Uh, it's a gift that God has given us to go deeper with Him and go deeper with each other. And uh, I, you know, you again, I said this earlier, you don't have to be in a geographical presence of someone to be close to them. And I'm feeling close to you guys right now. I'm not in your presence. uh, But you know, we're talking about substantive things. And there's no reason for a a friendship to go south. In this day and age, Uh, you can be together. I I talked with a person yesterday in Pennsylvania. And uh, last time I saw him was in July, the last time before that was probably 10-15 years earlier, and I'm as close to him today as I was 15 years ago, and because uh, I pray for him, we get on uh, FaceTime, we talk, we talk about substantive things, and you know, it's incredibly meaningful. So, I think this virus, nor virus, uh, it really is a hardship for a lot of us. But uh, it can be a gift if we'll take it and, and meet with God, uh, read biographies. I, I never get let people away without talking about biographies. Uh, I I read them all the time. I have about forty of my favorite, and uh, you know they're available. You can download them on on Amazon, and and reading good, good books that stir your heart to love God and to love people to follow Him. Uh, There's just no excuse (laughs) to do it. And uh, you know, I I've heard the excuse, and you guys have too, as staff. Oh, I'm just so busy. I I've got a full load of classes, and and I'm working 20 hours a week, and they are busy. But they have no excuse now. And uh, they, they may use other excuses, but they can't use the one that they're too busy. And uh, so my prayer is that people would really move in God's presence and and with each other. Your, your friendships with people, they shouldn't have to miss a lick, really. Uh, you know, granted, you're not playing softball together and and, and doing those kinds of things, but you can be substantive in your friendship, maybe in a way as you've never been before, by talking about things that are below the waterline, not just surfacey, uh, horizontal things, but vertical things that go deep.
0: Thanks, Bob, for giving us a bunch of your time and sharing tons and tons of wisdom with us. Uh, I feel like I've learned something, as I'm sure everyone else listening will. I wanted to ask you what we call a lightning round of questions. Um, And these are ones that we want everyone to get a chance to answer. So the first one is it's been said that leaders are readers, right? Leaders are readers. What books would you recommend for our listeners? I know you kind of just mentioned it. You've been reading some biographies, but what books would you recommend?
2: In addition to biographies? Uh, I, I like, uh, all of Ruth Haley Barton's books on leadership. Uh, she's got, uh, the heart of a leader. Uh, and there there's about six of them that I've read and all of them are really good. They talk more about, they're not about nuts and bolts of leading. They're talking about the heart of a leader and how to go deep with God and deep with people. And then probably my favorite author is, Uh, Gordon McDonald. And uh, he uh, has a number of uh, books on one is on uh, basically living below the waterline. I'm not sure that's the exact title. I don't look at the titles, but uh, Gordon McDonald's book on on living below the surface is really, really good for a leader and for anyone, frankly. And uh, I'm just rereading. I'm doing this with a with a friend, ordering your private world, which I think is could be one of the better books ever ever written. Uh, he just updated it; it's a new and revised edition. It brings in social media and things like that. But uh, Gordon McDonald, I think, balances uh, our traditional view of disciple making, and you know the old navigator model and how we've grown up one on one. And and then the the deeper life in Christ uh, and living out of our heart and and McDonald does a great job of 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 holding up both of those in ways you know some people are are good on one like Larry Crab would be good on on um, on living uh, below the waterline living out of your heart and things like that and other people might be strong on on disciple making but McDonald uh, does both of those really, really well. And so biographies and those two, I, I read Dallas Willard quite, quite a bit. And uh, he, he keeps me thinking. Uh, he's had several books out. Um, those are three that I love to read. What about biographies? I mean, you said he had 40, <laughs> you know, <it's> 40 of it. But... <laughs> I, I have more than that. I have a page on both sides here. <laughs> uh, I could send you this, by the way, but... Uh,
0: Please do. Please send us that.
2: Yeah, there's, a, there's some that you've never heard of that are incredibly good, like uh, the life of Lilius Trotter called A Passion for the Impossible. I love that title. She went to Algiers, Algeria in the 1800s. She went into a very male-dominated world to share Christ, and her journey of faith is is just amazing. Uh, Of course, Jim Elliot, The Shadow of the Almighty, Through Gates of Splendor, great. You know, if people really want to think, and this is not an easy biography to read, but it's one of my favorites, The Life of Diedrich Bonhoeffer uh, by Eric Metaxas, M-E-T-A-X-A-S. Is a great biography of uh of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who you may know, you know, gave his life. Uh he was killed by Hitler in resisting the Nazi movement, but he modeled what it meant to have fellowship with Christ and fellowship with each other in the context of a very terrible world that was around him. Uh of course, Hudson Taylor, he's probably my favorite. There's a bunch of biographies out on him. Probably the best one is uh, that's more up-to-date is Hudson Taylor, A Man in Christ by Roger Steer, Roger Steer, S T E E R, J J Hudson Taylor, A Man in Christ. Those are great. Um, but I could I could send you, I don't know if I have your email. I probably have Shane's, but I may not. Uh, I can send you mine. Don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah, send, you, send me your, and, and uh, I have this in the computer, so I can send this to you. And they're my favorites. There's there's a lot of them but I love. You know, the thing about biographies, when you read a biography, it stirs your faith and it stirs your courage. And every one of us need our faith to be stirred and our courage to be stirred. And all these biographies I have here, there's one thread that goes through every one of them. And some of them did different things. Amy Carmichael uh, rescued young girls out of prostitution in India. And of course Hudson Taylor went into the interior of China and they did different things, but the one thread was prayer. And it was true for every person, whether it was William Wilberforce and coming against the slave trade in, in England in the late 1700s, every one of them were men and women of prayer. And so uh, that's kind of a you know a, an interesting thought as you read biographies, but they stir your faith and they stir your courage, and I'm I'm sold on them. I can't think of many better things to do with my time than than read about a, a godly man or woman uh, that has fought the the good fight over the years.
0: Thanks, Bob. That's awesome. Uh, the second question is: um, Is there any like impactful quote that? Has had like a some sort of significance in your life from anyone
2: uh, a quote let's say here uh, boy I have a lot of quotes and I have a couple of them laying around my my uh, let me see here if I can come up with one that might work <laughs> Okay, here, here's, a, here's a quote. Uh, and I don't even know who bought this by. But what you have experienced, or even more so how you have processed and responded to what you've experienced, will either assist you in admitting Jesus to dwell into your heart and relate deeply to others, or it will be a weight and an acre. So what you've experienced so all of us have experienced a lot of things in our life, right? We grew up in a family, we were in sports, we went through high school. What you've experienced, but but even more so how you've a, a processed what you've experienced will either assist you in admitting Jesus to dwell into your heart and relate deeply to others, or it will be a weight in an acre. That's why it's so important for us to uh, give attention to The things that have happened in our life, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, there, well, there's so many, you know, here, here's a thought that if we don't really get a handle on, on discipline, the discipline of walking with God, then what will happen is we will end up, end up feeding and living off of other people's spirituality. And how sad would that be if a, if a student today, you know, and certainly God uses us to mentor people, but how sad would it be today if I was still living off of Max Barnett's spirituality? And so Max got close to me so that in time I could know and walk with God on my own. So, uh, you know, in a sense we're trying to wean people in a healthy way so that they develop their own spirituality and not just are living off of the ou baptist campus ministries spirituality that's why i think every person probably at some point in their life need to have some of the props knocked out from from under them to see how it works uh, with god that for me it was vietnam not everyone certainly has to go to a war zone but It could be a summer where they're working and not having all the immediate fellowship. For a lot of students, it's going to be this virus, C-19. They're alone. The props are knocked out from under them, and it is so good for them to have it, to really meet God on their own without a weekly great meeting to go to or a weekly Bible study to go to, to figure out walking with God on their own. And and for a lot of them, I, th- I hope they'll look back on this time with, with incredible gratitude because they met God in ways they never had before.
0: Thanks, Bob. The last question is if you could go back in time and had a chance to sit down with 23 year old Bob and you knew that he'd listen to everything you said, what advice would you give him in just like a minute?
2: Yeah. Uh, 23-year-old. Let's say at that time I was in Vietnam. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't have too many regrets, Wyatt. Um, I I begin to develop faith and faith in a faithful God, and I begin to develop a heart for people to help them to grow in reading the Bible. Um, I think for me as an introvert, I, I would have like to have maybe done more than more proactive in reaching out to people I don't know. That's always been hard for me. Sandy's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. So I think in 20, at 23, if I would have been a little more forthright moving into people's worlds, meeting them where they are. I, I play golf with a bunch of non-Christians every week now. Sandy's in a knitting club with a bunch of non-Christians. We have non-Christians all around us, our neighbor, and we're actively engaged in their lives. I wish I would have been a little more doing that when I was 23 and through the years.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. Uh, I, guess, I guess I tricked you. I do have one last question. Is there anything that you want to tell us that we just didn't ask the right question, something that God's put on your heart that you're just itching to get out?
2: Uh, you know, I touched on a lot of things. I, I, I even snuck in that thing of, of confession and repentance, and that, sometimes that doesn't come in. And, but I'd, I'd like to mention that because I think for most Christian cultures, that's the missing component. We do a lot of good things, teaching the Bible and having small groups, even some outreach events, but we haven't done a very good job in developing a culture of repentance, confession and repentance. And uh, I, you know, and I talk, I've talked to Robbie Nutter about this. I talk to people about it a lot because I think it's one of the missing links in, in our, our relationship with each other and one-on-one, our relationship in a, in a small group, and our relationship with our larger group, and uh, I suspect that, you know, Jesus, because it's the journey of humility, and God always calls us to have a humble heart, and uh, to be a humble person, and that's how spiritual power is released, through that humble, submissive heart, and the Holy Spirit just moves through that that kind of person and so I guess uh that would be the thing I would I I, it's not something I didn't say but I'd emphasize in closing
0: Bob thank you so much for your time and man it was awesome I didn't know too much about you when we sat down but I feel like we're all best friends now
2: (laughs) Uh, Great. well it's great to see all of you and uh I my I still have a lot of blood red blood in me a lot of it's (laughs) I still have red blood that I bleed OU. (laughs) Thanks so much, and I'll pray for you guys and uh, the ministry there. So thanks for the opportunity.
1: Bob, thank you so much for your time.
2: Okay, take care, and we'll hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.